Hello, and welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast. We are your co-hosts, Bridget and Terry. Each week, through intimate, candid conversations with guests, we explore different perspectives on and experiences of depression. We keep it real because the illness is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. We are not experts or therapists. We are sisters and best friends who live with depression and have interviewed hundreds of other people who do as well. We've learned that hearing others speak openly and without shame about their experiences makes it easier to believe depression is a common and treatable illness, not a personal failing. You are far from alone. Bridget. Hi, Terry. One of the things that we hear from just about every one of our guests is that they wish that they had known about depression earlier, wish that it had been talked about in their families, named, validated, and treated if necessary before it affected them for so long or so extremely. Others have extended their wishes beyond their own families, calling for mandatory mental health education along with physical education in the schools. Again, trying to put mental health and mental illness in the same okay-to-acknowledge-and-talk-about category as physical health. And this pandemic could actually be a catalyst for all of those things happening, or happening more anyway. Now that we're all collectively experiencing loss on so many different levels, and feeling all the really big feelings that more than a year of dramatically altered life brings, conversations about how we are doing, really doing, are becoming more common and accepted. Yet one conversation that can still be really uncomfortable because of the vulnerabilities it exposes is talking to our children about our mental health challenges. To be honest, neither Bridget nor I did that until we started this podcast. And we now recognize that as a lost opportunity. Because, let's face it, our kids probably do notice when we're off and without correct information, they might assume our mood changes are their fault. That's the important message from today's guest, TJ. He says normalizing conversations about what we're feeling and thinking, including those that result from mental health challenges, will also help our children tune into and support both themselves and any friends who may struggle, and some will, as well as better understand what we're going through, why maybe mom hasn't showered in a long time, or why daddy spends so much time in bed. They can also hopefully recognize that in spite of our dark periods, we, as adults and children, can still be loving, productive, available, and even funny or joyful humans at other times. Here now is TJ giving his voice to depression. Hello. Hello. I'm supposed to call you TJ? Yes. Are you okay with this? Absolutely. I'm, I've been looking forward to it. Excellent. Me too. So, TJ, tell me a little bit about yourself before we start, or as we start. I am recording, just so you know. I'm 43 years old, mm-hmm. um, divorced, uh, father of one amazing son. <laughs> um, 
and I am currently living on a disability due to my mental illness. I suffer from depression, anxiety, um, bipolar, and PTSD. TJ says he's been battling depression most of his life, starting in his early teens. Yet... I never really um, took the initiative to dive into what was really going on with me that was causing me to have, uh, you know, moments where, you know, I was kind of incapacitated, um, whether it was after uh, the death of somebody close or the end of a relationship. Um, it would just kind of uh, send me in the spiral at times. It wasn't until persistent suicidal thoughts invaded that he decided he had to get help. So, um, you know, roughly at that time, um, you know, I finally started to discuss my issues with my doctor, uh, my psychiatrist and my therapist. And, um, you know, they, they started the, um, you know, roulette of uh, medications of let's try this, let's try that, Um until, you know, we, we kind of felt like, uh, you know, everything was sort of okay. This next part of TJ's story will be very familiar to those of us who take meds. He was feeling better. His life situation improved as well. So... And, you know, I, I felt uh, good. Uh, and, and so it was like, I don't, I, I, don't, I don't want pills to make me feel good. You know, I want to feel good on my own type of machoism Um Type of scenario, so I stopped. I stopped taking the medications that had been prescribed to me for um, the depression symptoms that I've, you know, had had. Which, looking back on it, was not a very good idea. So I was really setting myself up for failure. Failure, to use TJ's word, was fueled by the loss of his best friend. Really stressful changes at work, legal and major medical issues, betrayals, and a divorce. It would be a lot for anyone to handle. Mix in mental illnesses. I did end up overdosing on um, prescription medications and ended up spending, you know, the next 10 plus days in uh, in a hospital in, in the psych unit. Mm-hmm. And that was just the beginning of, that was the first attempt of um, five attempts in six months and six attempts over 18 months. Mm. And I'll never forget, um, you know, when you're when you're kind of throwing rocks back and forth with the, at each other with the person that you're separating from. You know, one of the things that I will never forget that was said. Um, I mean, it, it just stuck a knife into my heart. Uh, I'll never forget the comment that she made that Connor um, would often ask her, "Why does Daddy spend so much time in bed?" And um, you don't realize it when you're doing it, but when you hear that somebody else was was affected by it, especially when it's your own child, it just it crushes you. It, it, it absolutely crushed me. So that gave me an indication that he had noticed that there was something different about his dad than everybody else's dad. Mm-hmm. TJ transformed that pain into the motivation for an all-too-uncommon parent-child conversation about mental health and the need to openly and shamelessly share feelings as a way of naming and taming them. Because I wanted him to understand the things that I do deal with and the fact that the things that I deal with are common. Uh, that I'm not the only person in the world that's like this. 
and that it was important for me to tell him that it's okay to talk about your feelings um, and to share your feelings because we spend all of our most parents spend most of their time when 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 children are little you know discouraging them from from sharing their feelings basically you know if a child cries we, we do everything we can to to get them to stop so you know we we kind of go down the wrong path of encouraging a child um to share their feelings and i want to make sure that i try to reverse that trend with him to where he understands it is okay it is okay if he needs to cry it, it is okay if he if he's mad about something and he wants to talk about it you know, there's also, I'm reading from WebMD, that depression is significantly more common in boys under the age of 10 than girls, and that children yeah. with a family history of depression are at greater risk of experiencing it themselves. So I assume on some Correct. level it was a because you had, you know, this is also part of his family medical history. And uh, I want to make sure that he knows that um, whatever he's feeling, whatever difficulty he, that he may be having, that it's not his fault that he didn't do anything wrong and that there are people there and will be there, you know, to love him and support him no matter what he's struggling with and going through. TJ had been thinking about having that conversation for a while, but it was not planned for that specific weekend, nor was it anything as formal as, son, sit down, there's something I need to tell you. It was more a matter of seeing and seizing an opportunity when defenses were low. And I'll, I'll never forget. It was it was that Saturday. We um, we went to pick up a pizza, and um, he, before I got out of the car, he he looked at me and he started crying. And he said, "I said, son, what's you know what's wrong? What's wrong?" And he said to me, "He goes, you know, Dad. Before I came over, I went up to my room and I laid on my bed and I cried because I I began to realize how much you fought to to see me again." Hmm. And you you want to talk about having a difficulty talking after you know hearing something that definitely put you know uh, an apple in my throat for sure um but that kind of made me realize that okay he's struggling with emotions he's you know feeling different emotions than he's had in the past why wait why wait for this conversation? There's no better time than now when you have an opportunity, when there's an opportunity in front of you that presents itself. When that opening is there, you got to go through it. And that, to me, there was no better time than when, when the emotions were raw and he was expressing himself to make sure and reaffirm in him that that's what I want him to do. And that's the right thing to do. Beyond emotional expression, TJ wanted his son to understand the two illnesses he struggles with most, anxiety and depression. But I wanted to make sure he really understood what depression was, um, that, you know, it's more than just feeling sad, that it's not an excuse, you know, um, that people make just to stay in bed all day. Um, and I explained to him that, you know, do you remember all those times when, you know, I, I was in the bed for the weekend or... You know, so many days that you would come home from school when I was in bed. You know, that's that's part of what depression is and how debilitating it can be. And um, I wanted to describe it in a way that, you know, you, you tell him what it is without completely scaring him as well. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to go into blurring, you know, X number of people die each year from, you know, depression or, or suicide. So I was careful as to what 
I shared, but I wanted to put it in, you know, in a way that he understood what I was going through. What was his reaction? I think he was uh, surprised, um, but not as surprised as I thought. So I, I started to get the feeling where the, you know, burning in my stomach that, that had me thinking, okay, he already knows. He's already been told. Mm-hmm. Um about what I have been going through. Um, so, but he was, uh, I think he was surprised that I brought it up. I, I think he was surprised with how open I was about it. Um, and I think he was very receptive to the fact that I wanted him to share his feelings, that uh, there's not, nothing to be ashamed of. TJ has brought up the topic since to both normalize talking about mental health and to make clear that conversation is no more taboo than any other. I, I believe it's, it's you know, no different than any other difficult conversation a parent has with their child. And it's not one that should be or needs to be just a one-time conversation. Um, so I will, you know, continue to educate him. And as he has questions, as I hope he does, I'll, I'll answer them as honestly as I can without um, either glorifying or horrifying uh, mental illness. Without either glorifying or horrifying mental illness. What a great way to put it. Another insight TJ shares is that parents may need to sacrifice some of their own privacy to make the message valid. You know, I did, I did reaffirm in him the, the fact that, you know, I, that conversation we had um, you know, while I, I wanted to, to kind of remain between you and I, uh, or he and I, uh, that um, it's it's not anything that he should feel like he can't um, talk to people about. Because if, if I'm ashamed of him talking to other people about it, how am I expect him expecting him to not be ashamed to talk about his feelings with other people? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I wanted to make sure he understood that if he felt that he needed to talk to somebody else about it, that, you know, he could also do that. And speaking of walking the talk, TJ also emphasizes that once you encourage your children to share their feelings or symptoms or concerns, you have to be willing to listen without judgment when they take you up on the offer. And um, I believe if if we start our children at a young age, that eventually... um, we can start to turn the tide on on this the thing that we fight the most, which is the stigma. And it's gonna it's gonna come from a way of not fighting against those that are set in their ways. It's gonna come from people that were taught at a young age that it's okay. It's okay. You know, this there these people you know, the people that have and suffer from the mental illness are, are really no different than you or I. They are you and I. Yeah, exactly. It, you know, we can't grow up hiding our hiding everything from our children. If if there are things that we know that could potentially affect them, it's our responsibility to re- prepare them for those situations. And mental health is just as big and a part of that as anything else that we can teach them, whether it be about drugs or sex or anything along those lines. Sometimes I believe we spend too much time focusing on making sure that our kids in school don't bring another life into this world rather than spending the time on making sure that those lives that are sitting there in front of them are there for the long haul.
And I think that that's something else that needs to be changed in the future, but it all ultimately all starts with us as parents. It is such an act of love and bravery to share one's feelings and challenges. I mean, even to be able to do that for ourselves, let alone, you know, somebody that we care about. I'm just thinking of like what a trajectory change that conversation could have, right? Now, Absolutely. It, all those things that as a kid were shrouded in mystery and we just sort of, I don't know, we acted like they weren't happening or we act like they didn't matter or, or that they didn't affect us. And they do. And they do us. for a long time sometimes. For life. Yeah. And, and this difficult, potentially life-changing conversation, which TJ did with such insight and love, it's a game changer. It is a game changer. I love the way TJ said, um, and if he has questions, and I hope he does, and I thought, yay, you know, keep that door open because you got to be able to say like, and, and you and I do it with each other, Bridget, right? You'll say, hey, how is your mental health right now? And I'm like, no, I'm actually just being a little brat or I'm just being withdrawn or I'm just being whatever I'm being that could I'm look. I'm tired. Yeah. You know, I need yeah. to eat. Yeah. I had a hard day. It could yep. be, look that way. But I appreciate you asking because if there was not, you know, a, a, a normal everyday reason for it, which in our case might be depression. Anyway, the point is that hey, the keeping that door open then even, you know, down into uh, let's say people in their 50s like us, you know, all of a sudden you're you're still having those conversations because you've normalized it. You've always had them. Yep. Yep. And then you get to model that and live that for other people and make it okay for them to do it. And it just, it just goes and goes and goes for generation. It's a, it's a, like a reprogramming is the word that's coming to mind. It's like reprogramming reality into something that has some power in it instead of completely the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. And TJ made the same point that Dr. Patrick Corrigan, the leading stigma researcher who we've had on the show, made that it's not through education that stigma changes. You know, you don't say, but you need to understand this is actually a biochemical, you know, it's, that's not how opinions change, especially if someone's sort of set in thinking what, that we're just focusing on the negative or we're lazy or whatever the stereotypes of people with uh, depression are. But to say it's realizing that your mother, your father, your friend, your minister, your whoever lives with this and you still like them, you know, you, you, you still respect and, and recognize them as somebody who is whole and valuable as a human being. And that in and of itself is also game changing. Absolutely. And we hope that parents, aunties, uncles, you know, grandparents, siblings, anybody who might be listening to this realizes that this conversation could be, as Bridget's saying, a game changer. And it could make everybody feel okay about whatever it is they're feeling. And that also opens the door to asking for help when the things you're feeling just become too much to bear or carry alone. Yeah. So thank you, TJ. We uh, are touched and uh, respectful of the the way you handled it, the fact you handled it, and then the fact that after doing that, you wanted to share it with us so that it would be shared with others. Thank you, TJ. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate your experience of depression or 
better understand how to support someone else's. We invite you to join us for daily posts on the Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page and on Twitter and Instagram at Voice Depression. It is a comfort to be among fellow travelers on Depression's Dark Road. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up. If someone else is, listen up.